the Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by the Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show and in studio, as always, my two favorite girls, <laughs> um, Stacey Holland, our gut coach, Sister Elise Van Art, my right hand, and our producer, Simpiwe. Morning, Sims. Morning, guys. Morning. Okay, so today we're talking about something that is incredibly prevalent in society, and this is weight. And... Um, mm. We, we thought about specifically talking about how to lose weight well, but before we get there, we actually need to understand what this problem is, and um, then only can we form a, a, a path or walk a path in which we can treat it. Mm. So you guys know that I love statistics, okay? <laughs> and... Um, I want to ask a question. How prevalent do you think weight problems are in the world? Extremely prevalent. I mean, yeah. I would be up to more than 60 to 70% of the world's population. Almost not that high. Elise? Yeah, I, well, my first thought was also 70%. Mm. Okay, so actually 40% of the world's population is Overweight mm. and a little bit less. It's about half of that. So you're saying we just judgmental? Is that <laughs> no, right? well, no, we're not judgmental. Um, and this is what we we're going to be talking about today because weight, being overweight, uh, never mind obese, is a chronic, progressive disease. It's something that is exploding all over the world. Mm. And I'm going to ask you a simple question. In which parts of the world do you think it's growing fastest? North America. In the first world. Yeah. Actually, no. Oh. It's in the third world. It's in the developing countries. I get that as well, Through though. urbanization. Mm. And changes in lifestyle. An inclusion of a Western diet replacing traditional diets. And you know what? I think this is a phenomenally important uh, point that we need to discuss. Mm. Because um, we're going to bring weight back to the gut. Mm. Um, And when we start changing the gut... Um, and the microbes in the gut, we reacted differently to the foods yep. that we are eating, um, which leads to the problem with obesity. Mm. So, Sister Elise, what do you think is the major complications of weight or being overweight? Mm. It's such an interesting yeah, question. It, it, yeah. it, if I think mm. about everything, I think the biggest concern is cardiovascular disease. Yes, that's one. Um, and then uh, diabetes. Um, Number two, yes. Uh, what else? 
Now, I know there's people listening and saying, okay, but you're talking about weight, and then you mentioned cardiovascular disease. Isn't that the heart? And maybe they know what vascular, the vascular part is. And then you say diabetes, and it might be a little bit closer to home. So mm. maybe we need to elaborate. Why were, why were those your first two? I, I, there's, there's a third one, which I think a lot of people do not realize. So I'm going what, to give you a clue. metabolic syndrome? I'm going to give you a clue. When we talk about hormone replacement therapy, mm. what is women's biggest fear? Getting to weight gain. Wait, well, no. Is it not women's estrogen biggest, dominance then? Women's biggest fear, okay, maybe I'm not asking this correctly. Why do a lot of women not want to take hormone replacement therapy? Oh, cancer. Yeah. Cancer. Okay. Yeah, at least you're correct. Did you know that as a woman who is overweight, and I'm not talking about obese, I'm just talking about a woman who is overweight, mm-hmm. her risk of developing breast cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, lung cancer, and colon rectal cancer is higher Mm. than her risk of developing cancer if she should be on hormone replacement therapy. Yes, Yes, that makes sense Okay, but let's go back a bit. We always talk about women. What's the risks for men then who's obese? It's also cancer. Yeah. Um, The types of cancers would be Colorectal cancer, prostate, prostate cancer, lung cancer. So, isn't the intestine or the gut cancers also prevalent in men? Yeah, colorectal, colorectal cancer. Yeah, but I mean, I'm thinking about stomach cancer as oh. well. Like I, think higher stomach, up. I think stomach cancer is predominantly caused by. Smoking, etc., etc. You know, but we mm. should actually, when we get into our series around cancer, um, cancers and tumors, etc., etc., which will come later in the season, we will explore this one. Elise, that's a very good point because mm. I actually can't give you that answer mm-hmm. at the moment. It's interesting. <laughs> I think um, is that is it because it's inflammation mediated? Is it the inflammatory response from being overweight? That would lead to the development of cancer. What is it about being overweight that predisposes this individual to cancers? Isn't it linked to sugars? Yes. And that's what I mean. Is Is it inflammation? It is the sugar because obesity is caused by excess intake of sugar. Mm. Sodium and potassium. Mm. Now think about all the things that we get Mm. in our food today to make it more palatable. Mm. It's everything contains hidden sugars, hidden salts, Mm. um, and hidden potassium. So when we look at obesity, and this brings us back, I, I made the statement the other day. And said that obesity is a problem of wealth. Hmm. 
Oh, I don't agree. <laughs> the reason the reason I said that I, I can, is yeah. your fastest change in obesity levels is in the lower and middle class population. So people that come out of poverty into lower class and then move up into middle class are the ones that um, are the showing the fastest signs of weight gain because of change in wealth status, in, in, in diet and eating habits. I've, I've seen that. I mean, even if it's just purely anecdotal, if you look from a, a look at a familial perspective and even just take, if I take myself, you know, our family, as we earned more, there were more treats available. You had more treat meals. You went out. Cake was more freely available than the home and sweets and chocolates. And it definitely is, I think, one of what is a very complicated topic and disease profile. Well, I'm thinking of my family. Mm. I'm one of six siblings. Mm. My dad was a policeman. I mean, I'm I'm saying this because it was low income, mm. low income, with six children and a mm. and children and a mom that doesn't work that had to look after the children. What was our staple? Bread that she baked baked yep. at home yeah, because she baked at least she bread. baked it. Yeah. yeah. So Elise, actually, I think you bring up a very very mm. valid point yeah. because think about the quality of our food yeah. that we had when you were growing up, which was forty years ago. Mm. Wink, wink. <laughs> um, Go away. <laughs> you said something else in my what mind. A bitch. Yes. So, um, but think about it. When when we grew up, the quality of our flour was completely different to what it was now. It was not genetically modified, modified and refined. Right. And we grew our own vegetables mm. in the garden exactly. and all of that. And plus we've already established you actually weren't overweight when you were younger <laughs> yeah. anyway. We had this conversation yesterday because I think it's an important part of the topic is – when we define obesity, is it something that we're looking at or is it uh, – what are the stats? Is it weight? Is it BMI? Because I hate BMI and I know that it is a helpful tool when we're talking about someone being morbidly obese. But yeah. I have uh, – I've had a high BMI my entire life and I have a higher um, – Muscle to body fat ratio. Yes. So I carry lean muscle mass and I by think BM, virtue of that. BMI in context, per, holistically looking mm. at a person, is valuable. As but a sweet, like a large, you know, generalized yeah. Yeah, okay. metric. So actually, let's, let's classify what BMI is. It's a weight versus height index. Mm -hmm. So for you to go and calculate your BMI, you need to do a little bit of simple math. Mm. Simple? It's very <laughs> Actually, it you know, if you have a calculator, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do this. To calculate your height, which is a square, so you, you need to take your height in centimeters. So I'm 1.75. So you take 1.75 times 1.75. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And then you get the answer. That's going to be about. See, there he goes again. You can do it. <laughs> do the math. His eyes closed. Around about three. Mm, would, yeah. And then, when you get that answer, mm-hmm. I might, come oh, on, God, three point zero six two five. And um, <laughs> then you take your weight in kilograms, mm-hmm. and you divide it. By that, that number Squared number, yes So that will give me What's your weight in kilograms? <laughs> um, a BMI of close to 28 Which for your Now look cat- at me Yeah, yeah You know what? I'm thin and gorgeous You are lovely <laughs> Simpson, am I thin and gorgeous? Just say yes Yes <laughs> So that will give me a BMI of 28, mm. which makes me overweight. Mm-hmm. But it gives us a very good tool. So mm. overweight adults are classified with a BMI of over 25. And the moment that you go over 30, you are classified as obese. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you that it's it's something that... Especially some of our medical insurance companies Mm. would use to keep you from getting your points. Definitely Um, used to keep you from getting your points. It's ridiculous. Although, I mean, granted. None of of your big, beautiful (laughs) bodybuilder guys, not bodybuilder guys, swimmer guys, have a correct BMI because most of them carry a little bit more. More bone density, carry yeah. more muscle density, uh, low fat percentage, so they look gorgeous. But obviously from a fitness perspective, when I start seeing people's composition change, which means that they are getting rid of um, fat and not just losing weight, they are changing that profile. They might be gaining lean muscle and losing fat. You know, when it comes to just weight loss and treating someone like that, the benefits obviously far outweigh these Medical profile risks or cons, or you know what I'm saying. So yeah. there's there's a huge psychological element that comes into this weight loss conversation in the beginning already. It, yes, not, yes, not in the journey. In one hundred percent, you need to identify it in the beginning of this process. And also, if someone does want to step on the scale, so you like we said, we we identifying the the psychological triggers in the beginning, and I'm sure you're alluding to. Like family relationships And that's a conversation we had just yesterday Um, Limiting beliefs and thoughts that we carry And we hold on to it and we latch on to it And we form fat tissue around it basically (laughs) (laughs) And we insulate ourselves that way And then also what society is deeming as Healthy, unhealthy, overweight, underweight Which is what Elise mentioned right at the beginning of the conversation We're looking at people and saying Obese, overweight When we're not looking below the skin surface And actually critically assessing that profile Getting to the root cause that we spoke about So this this brings us to the following statement Mm. This was made by the World Health Organization um, At some point, I think (laughs) that no, it was not the World Health Organization. It was the Ameri- North American Obesity Society. Okay, 
And they said, and I agree wholeheartedly with them, mm. that losing weight is no longer about willpower. Yes. It's about biology. I completely so agree. So, Sims, does that make any sense to you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if we had a camera, you'd see that Sim is sliding Sims into and I are the backup girls at one uh, yes. <laughs> Why do you say yes? Okay, so. We've taught you lots of stuff. Yes, that's how I can say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like before, I would have been like, no, no. you just need to work out, eat healthy, and you'll be like slim and fit. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask you yeah. the question. How often have you done a park run or um, a 5K walk or something with a group of people? Don't lie. <laughs> I've done it one too many times. <laughs> okay. So um, I, I do them on a fairly regular basis mm -hmm. Okay We go and walk with one of our friends um, And he's 60 He's turning 65 now So for us it's a great outing Hello prof um, <laughs> And when we look around us There are people that do that Religiously every day And yet they're overweight And yet they look like Little ticks with legs mm. <laughs> So it's it's interesting that we think we're going to exercise ourselves thin mm. and it doesn't happen. Mm. Um because it's complicated. It's very complicated. So let's start. Mm. We know that there's such a, a psychological component to one getting the bloody process started. Mm. Getting I remember when I Stopped training And I started Pounding on Like my German French would say Smerch <laughs> Around my <laughs> Stomach Yeah But at one point I said Okay now I can't go to the gym I'm too fat Yeah And you know what You would never have said Stacey you've known me For a very long mm, time mm. I've never been that people would say, oh, my God, mm. you've gotten fat. Mm. I, I was never like that. But for me, it was that I feel so uncomfortable yeah. about myself yeah. that, no, I, you know what? I'm not going out. Mm. I used to walk around in clubs with no shirt on. Mm. Um, now I could walk around in clubs with a shirt on and look a little bit bigger and bulkier, which is actually more attractive. But uh, uh, no, no, I can't do this. So that's that's a problem. At least in our practice, we see this all the time, mm. especially with our female patients that come in at the moment. And the biggest thing is wait. And then it's for hot flushes and yeah. the low sex yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I correct? Yes, you yeah. are totally Even with correct. my patients as yeah. well, I see the same yeah. thing. No, definitely. You know that there's other things that are more important, but yeah. weight is first. Yeah, and I think it's weight is a symptom of a bigger problem. That's, my, mm. that's my take on it. And um, I've read up a little bit about it yesterday, only yesterday, and Stacey and I discussed it, is – we need to go back to root cause medicine. And I mean, I think in our practice, we are root cause practitioners. We okay, are so looking. Explain that a little bit. We're better. looking further than 
the symptom. <coughs> the symptom of overweight. We are exploring the cause, the cause, the okay. root cause okay, so of that, this. Okay, I like that. I didn't. I didn't think about that root cause medicine. Yeah. So, for example, and it came around a conversation. I had <laughs> just seen one of our patients that um, Elise was very concerned about because this patient is stuck in a cycle where an intervention is needed to break that cycle, and. We are thinking initially it's medicine or diet change, but actually after chatting, it's psychological psychological 100%. So a consultation went from, yes, this is what we're going to change your nutrition to and all of that to actually, wait, before we even get there, we need to address the way you think about weight, the relationship that you have with your body and yourself and the relationship you had with your mom. And the perceptions of other people of you. We spent an hour talking about that. Okay, so last, uh, two weeks ago, um, when we had our first show, we said, what's new at Tea Clinic? Mm. And Elise said, you know what, our... Weight, weight loss, loss. Mm. And I think, I think we new, must rename it as the, our, our approach to weight loss at mm. the clinic mm. Okay, because weight loss clinics are popping up One a dime, yeah, everywhere Everywhere, you find diets online mm. um, You go to your doctor and he gives you weight loss medication uh, you go to any aesthetic practice and, you know, suddenly it's weight loss. Mm. But weight loss is so much more than calorie restriction. Yes. And Stacey, you and I have <sighs> spoken about this. Mm. Yeah. Um, where people think, um, if I eat less, mm. I will lose the weight. And then I said, if you think that's going to work, <laughs> You know what? Go onto a desert island where you have to go and try and fend for yourself. Um, you will lose the weight, but the moment that we take you off that mm. island, that mm. weight's going to pile on back and in with interest. Well, th- uh, the amount of weight loss patients that I see that are not eating enough mm. is already enough, like I said, anecdotal evidence for me to say, hold on, hold on, especially for women, you know, and this is where hormones come into play because for men and women, we can but start. Stace, you need to expand on that because yeah. I think that's a very important concept. Mm. Myself, I'm the one that doesn't eat, mm. but I do eat at night. Yeah. And that was like a revelation for me when you said I'm nutritionally deficient. Mm. And that's why I can't lose the weight. So what I try to explain to people is if you think about all the tasks, just say we're going to build a new building and I say, okay, I want this building to be up in two weeks. You'll laugh at me and you'll say, well, the only way that's possible is if we have more time or more resources, right? Yeah. So we look at resources then and you'll say to me, you will need a crap load of resources if you want to get this from concept to completion in two weeks. Now the body is this system that has just this functioning on resources and it has these tasks and these priorities that it places in order that we still don't really understand. But we know that while weight loss is an important process and task to the body and that it would like to function in a lower weight range, it doesn't necessarily place it higher than things like keeping your brain functioning and your eyes functioning and your heart and your lungs. So the only way to move weight loss up in that priority scale is to give it more resources. And now you have some 
someone that's sitting in uh, at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, we're having a consult and I say, so what did you eat today? No, I didn't eat at all. I'm intermittent fasting. Uh, you know, the fasting is helping me lose weight. And it's like, yeah, that falls into a certain category. Calories in, calories out works for someone who's somewhat metabolically healthy. And what that means is the processes and chemical reactions in the body are sort of working according to textbook principles. But when they stop working to how we know that they should work, calories in, calories out is not going to help you. And so I see too many people that I feel are nutritionally depleted. There are not enough resources for the body to actually kickstart something like weight loss. Well, you know what? If you look at nutritional depletion, the moment that you are hungry, you start secreting cortisol. Mm. Now, cortisol is a stress hormone. And Elise, I wonder if this isn't one of the causes that we are seeing um, an elevated risk of developing cancer because Mm. of the stress hormone response, elevated cortisol, which leads to depletion of all your other hormones. Mm. You Mm. know, cortisol should be elevated only in times of stress, that fight-flight reaction. And it should come down. If it's elevated for long, Mm. it has a negative impact Mm. on cardiovascular health, etc., etc., etc. Also, what what I picked up on is that's one of the huge, and please correct me, Stace, Mm. if I'm wrong, one of the huge contributors to weight gain is cortisol elevated cortisol levels mm. continuously mm. so stress yeah it's in stress what levels. form or another physical yeah. or emotional and that influence the microbiome yes and also in the gut not only that if you think about it and i'm going to talk about the gut especially from this um, psychological perspective think about and Mark, you can elaborate here. So you have this elevated cortisol. So the body is in this fight or flight or freeze response. Now think about when you are ready to fight or flight. Glucose is needed for to, to run or fight. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's where you get this glucose metabolism impairment. Yeah. And that's when the body is not responding effectively and cells are not sensitive enough to these norms that we say, well, you know, if you have glucose in the system in the blood, then insulin is secreted. It shuttles glucose into the cells. That's the normal process. But in many, many people, that is not happening. That sensitivity is completely so Because of the high stress levels, it's <laughs> one of the factors. Elevated one of the factors. Secretion or whatever. Or it impairs the normal rhythms and uh, cycles. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think one of the things that people forget is that the brain is made up of or consists basically of 70% fat. Mm. The best form of energy for the brain is fat Mm. and then only glucose. glucose. Yeah. So if you don't eat regularly, and this is why I personally okay, but let's do define not fat in the layman's tongue. So this fat is your, is your omegas, isn't it? Omegas, free fatty acids. So, Stace, yeah. would you do you want to pick up on free fatty acids? So there's, you know, without with, sort of with the time that we have, you think of think of it as a major class 
of a macronutrient. Mm. So macronutrients would be carbohydrates, fats, fats and, and proteins. Um, proteins. Yes. And so think of these as your three major classes of things that you eat, and there are subdivisions underneath that. And when we talk about fats, it's actually only one class of um, lipids or, or fat profile. But in your major, in your diet, yes, it's things like your omegas, it's things like saturated fat and unsaturated fats and plant fats and animal fats. What is the difference between a saturated fats? and an unsaturated? unsaturated? From a chemical perspective, it's how many um, hydrogen bonds form around a carbon. No, but basically, no, no, no. Basically, <laughs> this is the reason why it's important is at room temperature, when there are kinks in that tail, meaning that not all those hydrogen bonds are saturated around that carbon, it allows packing. So it means. Oh, so this is when it becomes hard. Yes, solid at, at. So a saturated fat is an oil almost. Un- and an unsaturated, unsaturated has the kinks. Yes. So it it's never becomes like lard. and it never be and it never packs solidly. Ah, so that's the so difference in texture okay. between between animal fats and plant fats, basically. Okay. Does that make it easier to yeah. understand? I know it took me so long. I don't know why it's never taught to us like that. I think mm. it's a fear of going into the chemistry, and that's why I don't want to touch too much on it. Want to talk about that's that. not the yeah. <laughs> Smart, <laughs> but also it alludes Smart. to this fear that we have about around fat without understanding exactly. fat. Exactly, if that makes sense. Exactly. And when you touched on the microbiome, this for me was probably one of those ah moments, like ah, when I learned that. Oh, mean. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> when you have dysbiosis, if you have a profile of mo- microbes in your gut that are more pathogenic and more opportunistic. You can have as much willpower as you think that you have. Okay, These let's microbes. Explain, let's explain. Yeah. Pathogenic. Okay. So pathogenic there's let's, let's, a tendency let's start. to. I, I'm, I'm, simply <laughs> we focus. <laughs> How much does the organisms in your gut weigh? Um, about like a kilo. Girl. Or, like a two, like. Around two to two and a half kilograms, which is the same weight as your brain. That's a lot, eh? And it acts so two as dumbbell. an organ on its own. Without the organisms in your gut, you will die. For the simple reason they are responsible for the metabolism and the absorption, etc., etc., of nutrients. Mm. So it's very interesting when Stacy talks about dysbiosis, which mean this means there's a problem. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a there's no biosis ba- means here. living. So there's an unbalance in the living of these. So it mm. is like taking Eskimos and putting them in the rainforest. They will not survive it. Or mm. taking Congolese pygmies mm. and okay. putting them on an ice floe and thinking that they're penguins. They will not survive. Why? Because um, the, the environment, the environment is not suited to them. And that's what dysbiosis is. And we are creating a dysbiosis Every single time we take antibiotics, yep. et cetera, et cetera, when you change mm. our diets. 
Remember, our diets used to be fermented food because it was a way of preserving them. Mm. And pre-digesting it so it was easier for the body to take in. So, Elise, come back to your question and touching on what Mark is talking about. You have you don't have good and bad microbes. You have microbes that if they are in greater numbers, they definitely are pathogenic in profile, meaning they will cause disease. Yes. And they're quite well studied, but we've never known that when they are brought back down into certain numbers, they don't always cause disease. And sometimes pathogenic microbes can become health-providing or beneficial, actually. Actually. In and the correct In the ratio. correct numbers and ratios, and yes. environment. And environment, exactly. yes, yes. Because we've got different pathogens on yes. our skin than in our Absolutely. gut. Yes, exactly. Yes, and yeah. also if you change, the argument is if you then change the environment, will this what we thought to be pathogenic microbe still remain pathogenic? And there's some evidence to say, no, actually, when you change the environment, it starts to change its function, basically. Mm-hmm. So you have pathogenic microbes, you have beneficial microbes, which are health promoting and then you have the guys in between that are called opportunistic and they will go wherever the ruling class is if they're more pathogenic microbes they tend to be more pathogenic in nature and if they're more beneficial microbes they tend to be more beneficial in nature so if you have dysbiosis you have an imbalance in this ecosystem and what happens then is that they crave what they want to eat They love sugar, which is why we previously and traditionally fermented our foods, because the microbes would come in, reduce the sugar content and carbohydrate content of the foods that we were about to eat, revealing the nutrient value of it, (laughs) producing vitamins by that process. And so when Mm. we produce it already, that glycemic index and load has been lowered and also it's pre-digested. It's easier for us to eat, but we don't do that anymore because it's like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I've never, ever in my life had sauerkraut. Oh, exactly. Never. Never. It it's sounds slack. hideous. I'm bringing some like, for you. I don't I think like, it's a, I, a you quiet taste. You can give me taste. raw cabbage, mm. but the moment that you put it in warm water, I will actually use it put, as a I, weapon. I keep mine in the fridge. <laughs> Mine in the fridge. I never eat it warm. I know some people love it warm, but I eat mine no, cold. No, 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 You know, the moment that you cook cabbage, I will throw it at you. It was my mother forced me to. Eat oh, it. I was going to see. You see the psychological <laughs> element or emotional so element I, I, of food. I, you know, but give me slaw. Yeah. And you're happy. And you know what? I, 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 that's all I mm. will eat. With mayonnaise. But the, the point is, <laughs> no, actually, and this is very interesting because, um, when, uh, when we moved from, um, a, uh, more to a dairy free, mm. um, kind of eating because of my diverticulosis, um, Stefan started making slaw with, Pineapple, sesame seeds, mm, mm. Um, a little bit of apple cider vinegar, oil, and um, you know what? It's far nicer than the one for me in any case it's now an than Asian the one slaw. with mayonnaise. Yeah, the Asian slaw is yeah, is yeah. healthier. And funnily enough, I, I actually chatted to someone yesterday about the fact that we used to consume milk from the farm with. We cows were happy. They were roaming all day. They were eating pasture. I know three people that were classical lactose intolerance. They eat any dairy and they can fire a trip to the moon themselves through the farm. I grew up in a when, farm when and you drank every, that sing, every single morning 
we would go yes. and we would stand bare feet in cow dung while the cows were being milked and, and you did would you have drink a problem that, with that warm See? cream-filled milk straight there and never, ever, ever had an issue. Had a problem. So that milk teeming. With microbes doing the work for your body. Now we drink homogenized, pasteurized, pasteurized dead yeah. milk full of sugar. And your body has to now kick into action. And if you do not have those microbes, then you have lactose intolerance. You're going to struggle to break it down. But these microbes can, like an alien body in you, choose for themselves what they want to eat. And that's when I see people Almost at the verge and sometimes crying like I'm trying to eat healthy, but I keep craving these things and I know that I shouldn't eat this, but it's almost as if I'm not even thinking about it. Well, you are 100% right. And that is why willpower alone is not going to help you lose weight. Okay. So I have to send Sister Elise back to the practice. But Elise, before we do that, we've started a weight loss program. In, in the practice. Do you want to touch on that quickly? How we, how we came about with that and. I think uh, how we came about was when we saw the need. Mm. People have been, or specifically women, have been to different weight loss clinics and they don't get the results or they do lose a little bit of weight and then it just backs on back again. And then we decided to when we go into the root cause of what is wrong and why they don't lose weight, it is a hormone imbalance. And yes, please and correct I'm glad me. that you said that. It's yeah. a hormone imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. And um, with that, I think Stacy brings in a valuable part of the nutritional, what do you call it? Repletion. Repletion mm. um, of these ladies. And what I want to say with this is, Please understand, this is not a quick fix that we are going to give to you. If you do no. visit our clinic, yeah. it is a journey. Well, we have a couple of patients and our star patient, all our patients are losing weight well. But one of our patients came in at 185 kilograms. In the past year, he's lost He's now 36. 36 wow. kilograms. Wow. But I also want to By say. By hormone balancing, mm. we started balancing his hormones. Mm. And then we started focusing on um, weight loss medication, which mm. Stace and I will touch on very quickly. Mm. But what I want to say about this patient is he came in with lots of comorbidity. So we had to rectify that mm. yeah. with medication. Mm. Yeah. You can't nutritionally rectify that. You first need to um, yes. correct this the patient was, comorbidities. Um, diabetic, he had hypertension, yeah. he had lipid uh, um, problems, in other words, High cholesterol, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and when we started fixing those, mm. then only could we start on on the weight loss. We had to create balance in the system. Well, you Sister know, Elise, it was wonderful for you. you being here. Always, um, I'm I'm going to chase you because someone has to work. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you later. Thank you, Cheers, Elise. Okay, um, so Elise made a, an important point, I, which I think a lot of people do need to understand, is um, 
how how far how deep are you in that hole because if you've just fallen into the hole chances are we can throw a nutritional lifeline and pull you out but if you at the bottom of that well that's when it becomes more challenging with the willpower and also how much you need to change your your nutrition and your diet is just too difficult for many people mm. and that's why it's important to know where you are in that scope of things because it's what i had to change my mind around when it comes to medication for example um i've my entire life you know in the last 20 years of my life i've been averse to medication because i've seen the damages of medication especially with my sister being on severe chronic you know anticonvulsants and things like that i can see how medication does change your microbiome i can see how it does change toxicity but this is this brings us all the way back to personal responsibility and while we say to people you know it's not about willpower you also do have to take responsibility the moment you accept responsibility for where you are irrespective of how bad it is that's when a plan can be drawn out to help you but if you're blaming medication or blaming diet or blaming big pharma and big food and everything and you know yes your obesity crisis is not your problem we get that we understand the context in which it happens but at some point whether it's a sliver of responsibility and accountability. If a patient can accept that, that's when we can actually help them. Because the patients we haven't been able to help still continue to blame all these other factors which in isolation are correct. But you have to say, okay, I got myself this deep into the hole. Please help me get out. Yes. And adhere <laughs> to whatever it is that we say, you know, we're going to try this, we're going to do hormones, we're going to balance, we're going to put you on medication and then take you off and then we're going to change your diet until they accept responsibility. They never follow that plan. Yeah. You know what, uh, what you say is so absolutely true because I have been in practice for over 22 years mm. and I cannot tell you how often I have, especially women that come in and say, please prescribe me Obex or please prescribe me um, Obesan X mm. or you know what, um, Duramine, mm. just so that I can stop eating. Mm. But they do not take the responsibility. I want us to wrap up mm. because we'll, in next week's episode, we'll actually go deeper into how do we manage weight loss successfully. Mm. And this is um, a very a very involved process where we look at what is happening with biochemistry. And here you and I specifically go and look at the hormones um, that are involved. And here I'm thinking of all your sex hormones, which mm. includes testosterone, estrogens, progesterone. We're looking at things like glucose metabolism, um, and insulin as Insulin well. metabolism yeah. Because the two is slightly different mm. We can look at leptin We can look at grenin Now these are all hormones So all thyroid, of this is hormone yeah, based yeah. Your thyroid metabolism mm. Which will include iron as well as vitamin D mm. Because you need these trace elements and cofactors For your energy metabolism to be effective mm. And then we also look at nutritional state mm. because your B vitamins, your vitamin C and all of those things are involved. Yeah. And Stace, then we, we come to 
one of the most important things for weight loss, before we even get to prescription stuff, and this is the work that you do in the practice, it's the lifestyle. Mm. And lifestyle does not only mean that you have to get your fat ass off the couch, <laughs> um, you know what, and shovel a bit of dirt or mow the lawn. Yeah. Um, but it is the lifestyle changes that we have to make in relation to eating habits. Mm. And I often find people who say, but I only eat salad and fish. But it's maybe the salad that's actually causing the problem. But you lie, Janet, as well. I mean, I had, I had a client that told me, I never eat anything unhealthy. I don't even touch muffins and I just can't lose the weight. And you do a, a food journal with them or a diary with them. And there is a complete lack of I, I wouldn't want to say it's honesty. It's honesty with herself. But is it accountability? Accountability, and also I don't know. She had one um, portion of cream spinach at Sunday lunch at her mom's place, and in her mind, she ate vegetables every day of the week. But she never touched vegetables for six days of the week. So, so what does she think vegetables are? Because things that grow underground. It's complete delusion, actually. And in her mind, she just quick, she, she creates these funnels and these pockets where she just attaches. If she had that spinach, she's like, okay, I ate healthy this week. That's part of the mental stuff that we actually have to work through people and make them face some realities, which is you have to handle that in a very, Gentle spirit. I know there's people out there and it's a, it's a popular thing now to be like, bitch, get your ass to the gym. So no, actually, um, she says this and laughs because Stacy plays good cop and then she calls me in. Basically. And, um, then, you know what? Again, one of the first things that we do when we sit our patients down on my blue ostrich leather couch. Is I tell them in this practice we do not bullshit, bullshit which is important because it is important, it's yeah. not in their interest. And you know what? None of us in the practice actually have an inclination to do so. Mm. We don't we have time all to. Straightforward. Yeah. So when we come to treatment of weight loss, mm. it's not only understanding what the diagnosis is. In other words, getting to the root cause. Mm. Um, Addressing lifestyle, but then it's about addressing nutritional state because yeah. as you said, um, not eating creates mm. malnutrition. Mm. Um, so where we spoke about this and you got it right when I asked you about those little Ethiopian babies that are malnourished but with pot bellies mm -hmm. and uh, the term is quasi cool. Mm. Yes. Um, and it's, but those kids look fat. Mm. They look like everyone in Limpopo. Mm. Um, <laughs> don't laugh. My brothers live there. So, um, and we have to address that yeah. through bespoke nutritional intervention. Yeah. And this is not only food. This mm. might be supplementation, yes. whether it's, Oral or intravenous. Yes. And then only do we get to, and this is a phenomenally fast growing field in medicine, and this is where we're going to leave it, the new um, weight loss drugs. drugs. And they are effective, they're safe, 
and they are life-changing as well as life-sparing. But for today, we're going to leave it there. Okay. Stace, I, and um, hopefully uh, Divya Naidu with Sister Elise will be back next week where we will actually delve into what are my options mm. for treatment when it comes to weight and weight management. Awesome. Stace, as always, enlightening. It was wonderful. I learned about saturated and unsaturated <laughs> fat because I still don't know what the difference <laughs> is. Um, Simply, we will be back next week. Same time, same place. Have a good week, everyone. Cheers, guys. Cheers. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.